uh, and welcome to the ED podcast. Cooler than a Formula One powered energy efficient bridge, more energizing than a plastic free pack of bananas and far more stylish than a sustainability catwalk at London Fashion Week. Uh, yes, you're listening to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast coming up on today's episode. Carlsberg's Director of Sustainability shows Matt his six-pack as he takes a tour of the brewer's original site in Copenhagen to discuss its latest beer packaging innovation. For us, uh, the, the snap pack is just one of those rare radical innovations because you know, replacing up to 76% mm. of a packaging material in a packaging from one day to the next while maintaining the same benefits for the consumers in terms of functionality is incredibly rare. Sarah gets taken to the cleaners with a whistle-stop tour of what's claimed to be the UK's first entirely green dry cleaning facility. When you walk into a dry cleaning shop, actually you're walking into a genuinely hazardous environment. Um, but I, no, I don't see what the... What, until the government decides actually PERC needs to be outlawed, which I believe it absolutely should, um, there is no good basis for PERC any longer. There's no sound argument that, that PERC shouldn't be outlawed. And we have another live phone-in with uh, a very special sustainability guest calling us here in the studio from his holiday. So yes, uh, hello everyone. Uh, happy Friday. The sun is, uh, well, was shining outside. Uh, I'm not sure, yeah, what it's doing at the moment. Uh, it's the morning of Friday the 21st of September. Uh, and as ever, I'm joined here in the... Uh, makeshift different podcast studio uh, by the trusty ED editorial team. Uh, Matt as our podcast secretary, as I like to call you. Um, I'd say this is a makeshift studio. Do you want to explain where we are, what we're doing? Um, yeah, we've, we've essentially upped sticks and, and moved down the office into, into the boardroom, actually. So um, the podcast has finally got that boardroom level back in we've been waiting for, <laughs> uh, mainly because none of the other rooms have a phone to dial into. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, apologies if we sound a bit echoey on this episode. Hopefully we don't get kicked out at any point by the chief exec. Uh, we'll see how we get on. Uh, Sarah, hello. Hiya. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, yeah, glad it's Friday. I am. It was a really busy week this week, and indeed last week and yesterday was my first responsible retail conference um, for ED, which was held in London, where, where we had speakers from the likes of Ocado, um, Selfridges, Kingfisher, The Body Shop, um, delegates from countless other big name retailers um, gathering to share ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> already. Yeah, it sounds like you had a busy one. Um, George, you were there as well, weren't you? I was there as well. Um, I didn't know what the mood was going to be when we got there because like, if you've been keeping up with the news of like retail, yeah. Yeah, clubs, true, it's not true. been um, hmm. it's not been the best of times recently. Yeah. So I was I was a bit worried that everyone was going to be going down there with the like with their, with their heads down, but. Um, it was actually really positive. It started um, with uh, a speech from uh, the British Retail Consortium's head of sustainability policy, Peter Andrews, and he, he set the he set the scene. Said, you know, um, traditional retail is not going as well as we would like. Um, economic climate's not great, but on the other hand, there's never been a better time for sustainability. Um, so I was actually really pleased with how the day went. Mm. And, uh, yeah, heads heads were held high, and then and then you stepped up on stage. Yeah, that's it. I just um, waited for the other speakers to just warm the crowd up, and go in, <laughs> yeah. and again deliver the knockout blow. <laughs> yeah. So this was your first first appearance in the spotlight, wasn't it? So um, yeah, what what were you doing? That's right. So um, some of our listeners might be aware we 
have our new Sector Insight series, which is covering um, how various industries uh, are looking to achieve a sustainable future. So our first report was out last month, and that looked at manufacturing. Um, this one was on retail, and I thought, well, we've got the retail event coming up. Why not, uh, you know, pre present that to the people there? And uh, which is exactly what I did. Um, I think it went well. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one said it went badly. I didn't get booed off stage. <laughs> no tomatoes. No applause. But maybe that's just because people were happy that I'd finished. Um, <laughs> did you join the panel afterwards? I did. I did join the panel. Um, I don't know whether whether it's a good thing or not. No questions were asked of me. I don't know if that's because I covered all the ground. Left them, left them speechless. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe everyone just zoned out as soon as I started speaking. Yeah. But it was a really good experience. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, good. Well, uh, yeah, the Mission Possible retail report uh, out now. So uh, just go to the download section of the ED homepage to get your copy. Um, so uh, it's been a big couple of weeks in the world of sustainable business uh, news. I suppose that, that would go for any couple of weeks over the last year <laughs> or so, there, hasn't it? Uh, uh, but you'll be pleased to hear, everyone, that I did do some preparation for this episode. Uh, because I was looking back on air, at, uh, before we came on air, at some of the most read stories uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, not least of all because I needed to catch up on my own, uh, on the agenda. Um, anyone want to hazard a guess at what the top most read story on ED is over the past couple of weeks? Probably not a guess because I know you all look at analytics. Mm. But It'll be um, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so oh, going back from last, last Monday to now, most read story on ED. It'll be a feature. Sarah's wanting to jump in. I'm going to say no. I think it's LucasAid's edible packaging. That's a good thought. It's wrong, but it's a good thought. It's the feature, right? Yeah, it's the yeah. feature, yeah. yeah. Which is another, though, of, of Sarah's story. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sarah, this is the <coughs> feature titled Is CSR Dead? Quite a provocative headline. Um, Maybe don't answer it now because we want people to actually read the feature. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but talk us through what, what, was, what, what was the story, what was the event? Okay, so it was a um, panel discussion hosted in London a couple of weeks ago um, by communications agency FHF um, just about how CSR is evolving as more and more millennials come into the workforce and start consuming products more and more. They reckon that by 2030, three quarters of the workplace will be from this generation, um, and that this generation have vastly different ideas about sort of brand purpose and sustainability than their baby boomer counterparts. So just a sort of exploration as to what that could mean for the CSR profession. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you have, I was just looking at the piece, you've got uh, Innocent Sustainability Officer Katie Leggett, she was there. Mm -hmm. um, Rock Corp's chief executive Stephen Green and Natken Social Research Institute. Maybe I'm saying that right. Natken, Natsen. Oh yeah, I'll say that. One. Head of public attitudes at Roger Harding, um, and millennials activist Chidera Igiru. Yes. Probably should have researched that before I read that one out. No, there's a reason why her at is the slum flower instead. Oh, um, okay, right. So she's yeah. just um, really internet famous activist, particularly okay. around issues. Um, such as body positivity um, and racism, um, just get more of an insight from an actual millennial mastermind as to what the trends are going to be. Interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, we'll have a read of that piece. Well done, uh, Sarah. I think we should maybe instate a prize for most read stories of the each podcast episode. Um, although, yeah, that might just make us descend into writing clickbait stories <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> Kim Kardashian's latest sustainability something. Although, probably not Does anything. She have it? <laughs> yeah. uh, right, second most read. It was said. 
It was guessed earlier. Is it the Lucas? It is the Lucas. Yeah, yeah, the guess made. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lucas Aid to trial edible drink sachets to reduce single-use plastics at sports events. I think that headline probably tells us the story. Um, I was looking at that. One of the events that they're going to be trialing this at is the West Sussex Tough Mudder. Matt, is this something as our marathon man? This is just down the road. Been so there, yeah. been there, done that. Oh, I did, you've done I did, that? I did it last year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's really good fun actually. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> They were, I don't remember like the drink stations though. Um, I think it was just yeah, like normal bottles of Lucasade. Mm. Um, but I'm under the impression that these Oho packages, like packets, are quite small in comparison. Oho, oh, is that the name? I don't know. Mm. They are probably Oho. So but yeah, Oho. it's like the edible ball. Like um, they look like bubbles essentially. And okay. you, you should put so seaweed-based yeah. innovation. Right. Um, okay. But um, I'm sure they're much like. Smaller than a normal Lucasade bottle, then perhaps you take a couple. Probably a lot more practical, I would have thought. As oh, well, yeah, you, really have you, don't, you only need a bit of water, you don't really need to be carrying a bottle around with you. Just throw it in your yeah. face. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to work out why they would have called that ooh hoo, but I that's just the. Yeah, God knows. Maybe. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's the second one. Uh, it's no surprise to get a plastics one in there. Uh, third most sto- read story in the last two weeks. That, so, that Lucasade was written by Sarah, wasn't it? So we're going for a hat trick here. What was the third here. most read story of the last two weeks, Sarah? Hmm, last two weeks. Is it Lord Deven? Is that, it? Was, that would have been my guess. That is correct, yeah. And that <laughs> is a Sarah story. So, yeah, three stories written by Sarah, all most read. So, Matt, George, kind of got to step up your game. Uh, so, uh, this was only written a couple of days ago as well, so it's looking like it's going to be one of our most read of the month. Sarah, Sarah talk us through this one, because I've only just briefly read this one downstairs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last week was the ADF Packaging Innovations Conference um, in London. Busiest seminar of the two days seemed to be the plastics debate, which was stretching over two days. Um, I managed to get along for the first day, where the keynote speaker was Lord Deben, who needs no introduction, really, and if I were to give one, it would be about 20 pages long, and we (laughs) could be here all day. Um, Just talking about... A key topic of the discussion, really, was about plastics phase-outs and whether... Um, some of the alternatives that we're seeing are really more green mm-hmm. or whether they could have unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of the quotes I thought was quite nice. Without an integrated answer, people go rushing after what seems to be an easy solution. They think there's a silver bullet when, of course, it isn't like that, which I think mm. is quite a relevant point, isn't it? Yeah, good for a quote. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, but we, it's not the first time we've heard this argument and then the argument when we published it has been the most read of the week exactly. or month. Exactly, well, it's um, last, last, last time we were all in this, well, not this mm. studio, but in the podcast studio, so to speak. It was Adam Hall, wasn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. For our last live call. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's good, to, it's good to see more and more companies, India experts, etc., come out with this point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think since Blue Planet launched, it's just been a wave of retailer actions to essentially, yeah, get get that news out there and kind of appease customer concerns. But yeah. um, You sort of feel for the sustainability <laughs> professional in this because they're kind of squeezed from both oh, directions. Yeah. You've got like the consumer and probably then your own um, comms or PR team sort of pushing you to make a sudden call and then at the same time your head is probably saying, well, we need to actually really research this or make sure we're making the right call rather than one that in the well, long there was, term. There was a piece we covered earlier this week. It was kind of, uh, I think, the earlier batch survey um, looking at consumer 
thoughts and, and processes and demands around plastics. And I think 57% um, already think that plastic bottles have 50% recycled content in them. 57% of consumers think, yeah, okay. think that. And it's like it's actually like 15% across a, as an average. Right. So um, these consumers are very in the dark about this solution, but are the ones that are kind of mm. kind of um, steering the narrative and mm. steering where this is going. So it's good to have, especially someone like Lord Deven, say, hang on, let's just, let's just hold back a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and this, of course, coincidentally coming in this, or coincidentally, I think, coming in the same week, uh, just a few days before the government itself, uh, or UK Parliament, announced that it will replace single-use plastic cutlery, coffee cups and lids, drinking straws and containers uh, with compostable alternatives that will be treated as a, at a specialist waste facility. Mm -hmm. um, let's not descend into a talk about government's stance or anything but biodegradable um, knives to stab me in the <laughs> so uh there you go i think this uh wraps up uh, part one of the episode um but the plastics discussion hasn't ended here because in part two uh matt chats plastic free snack packs with the sustainability director of carlsberg so uh see you shortly Welcome back to part two of the ED Sustainable Business Covered podcast. No interviews as yet, but we've got some coming up. Um, this is episode 49, would you believe, of the podcast. Um, yeah, it feels like yesterday we were huddled around uh, ED Live, wasn't it, for episode one. You were there, Matt, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Were you there, George? Well, I was there. I always forget whether you were there. But yeah, you were there. So the three of us, the trio, and then Sarah joined us uh, later. Um, yeah, so I don't know if we've got anything planned for episode 50 yet, or are we still... There's, there's many things moving behind the curtain right now, um, but it's not going to be a birthday party because okay. we, we've just done one of them, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. okay. and that cake's quite expensive actually. Yeah, well, I was sort of, this was going to be my segue because I was hoping maybe you'd say there'd be some, uh, some alcohol on, on tap or some beers available because um, this does take us, I, I guess, I've just sort of manually forced us into this next part of the episode because uh, I wanted you to talk to us about your Carlsberg tour, Matt. Yeah, so I think this was a couple of weeks ago. Um, went off to Copenhagen um, for essentially a day and a night, mm -hmm. and got invited down to uh, the Carlsberg's like oldest brewery, um, and they kind of put on a bit of a, a real kind of song and dance about their latest packaging uh, innovations. I was hoping I'd be able to kind of deliver a whole tour of the facility because they had numerous stands etc all kind of explaining um what their new packaging innovations look like but it was it was rammed in there. there were so many journalists from like globally like ukraine china everywhere um and there just wasn't enough time not enough space uh, to do it so in, instead i'm kind of giving you a kind of very rushed 10 minute <laughs> chat um with carlsberg sustainability air director simon Bershoffmeyer. um but essentially what we're talking about is their their launch of the snap pack yeah um, we also spoke plastics in the first part of the show, um, and I think the um, the six pack ring on beer cans is kind of the poster child mm. for, for plastic mm. ocean waste. You always see them like around turtlenecks and mm. stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, Carlsberg have come up with a, a kind of glue that essentially just negates the need for that, and it's as the name suggests, you get a pack of beer and you kind of just snap a beer off one by one. Okay. Um, I was going to actually bring some in and try and snap them off but it's uh, it's early in the morning and I didn't feel that comfortable <laughs> going to Sainsbury's and buying beer yet so um, so they're out now these they are out okay. in the UK and in Norway um, and in fact Carlsberg are 
going to launch it in their 11 global markets um, at some point and it's estimated when they do that will reduce their plastic packaging waste by uh, more than uh, 1,200 tonnes a year which apparently equates to 60 million plastic bags. Wow. Yeah. A couple of quick questions. So the glue itself I'm guessing is recyclable? Yeah so it can, um, they, they actually they actually very specifically advise that you keep it on the can um, or at least recycle it alongside the can because it essentially when it goes to recycling it just gets burnt off along with all the kind of uh, ink and stuff so mm. yeah that's, that's all absolutely safe nice and the other one is are we going to be seeing it in the UK yep yep um, like I said I think it's, it's there out. Yeah. it's yeah. out it's yeah. out if you're, if you're listening just about no, 30 no, seconds ago because I knew that it was going to be trialled in one of the major retailers but I didn't yeah. know it was yeah it should be out um, I, don't, I don't know what retailers it's in, but as far as I'm aware, any any kind of retail would stock cars yeah. would, would stock these as well. It's probably so. once they finish their usual yeah. stock, yeah, you'll exactly. start seeing it. So don't worry, you'll really get the next thing out of the Friday night. Well, let's get straight into it. Uh, this is Matt's exclusive chat with Carlsberg's Director of Sustainability, Simon Bowes Hoffmeyer, in full. We best start with uh, what I'm doing in Carlsberg's brewery. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of um, announcements in the media for the past probably six or seven months that kind of really focus on that resource efficiency and stuff. And it's really refreshing to see Carlsberg go the extra mile and, and get people kind of behind the curtain to see the journey more so. What, what was the, the reasoning behind that instead of just, uh, here's the product launch, here's the press release, done? First of all, I think that uh, it's important for us to show that behind uh, these packaging innovations and behind the work we do, there are people. There are not just people from Carlsberg, there are also great partners out there who have enabled us to do this. And we don't think there is a better way of doing that than, than bringing people in, uh, standing side by side with, with our partners uh, to show you the people who have worked with this, who have uh, had late nights uh, and, and who have really uh, made this happen over the last many years. Um, and you know, our sustainability program is called Together Towards Zero for a reason. And that is that without partnerships and without uh, radically uh, changing the way we, we do things uh, in terms of partnerships, then we definitely can't achieve the level of, uh, of change that we want. Um, one of the questions I had kind of going into this was around that Carlsberg circuit community that you've been running. And we saw a few of the suppliers um, today. Do you, do you think it kind of... Um, represents well on them and that perhaps some other key suppliers of yours will look to this and think oh this is a real good um, not just opportunity to strengthen our relationship with Carlsberg but a great market opportunity to get our name out there more as well. Of course and you know the basic idea behind the Carlsberg circular community was to actually give the guys who develop solutions a little bit of limelight to bring them to the consumers as well instead of them just being in the background because uh, if there's one thing that's for sure it is that, that if you can get a, a positive uh, vibe going on sustainability, if you can, if you can make the uh, companies who work with this see the value on the consumer level, there's simply a greater likelihood that they will actually go back home and uh, move their R&D efforts into something more sustainable as well. Because there's one thing that's for sure, and that is we can't do it alone at Carlsberg. And we don't know the materials as good as these people that you've met today. So unleashing their innovation potential is incredibly important for us reaching our targets. And you know, when you look at our 30% reduction target in our Together Towards Zero program, then that cannot be reached 
without having partners and suppliers doing things differently, doing things new. And a lot of the focus is, is rightly on the, um, the plastic reduction and, and I suppose just waste reduction and closing that loop as it's been said a few times to, um, to date. I've seen a few, and I'm not going to name any names, I've seen a few companies release kind of initiatives or stuff based on essentially just consumer demand. Um, to reduce kind of plastic or reduce packaging in general, which perhaps hasn't quite fought ahead and, and looked at any potential consequences down the line. I know during the presentations that um, yourself and, and other people from the Carlsberg Group mentioned this has been like a three-year journey. Um, so I, I assume there's been this isn't just focused on consumer demand for mm. a reduction in plastics, for example. But how, how are Carlsberg really going to ensure that a solution they're introducing now doesn't create more kind of consequences further down the line. Mm -hmm. So um, with anything new, uh, we cannot claim that we know everything, but we have done our very best to test the solution as well as we can. And as you say, um, three years ago when we started this project, there was not the same attention on plastic mm. and on waste as there is today. So for us, it's actually really positive that uh, over the course of these years when we've been developing this solution, um, the attention on uh, sustainability has basically grown. So uh, we're just happy that we were a little bit ahead of the curve, perhaps, uh, in, in seeing this trend um, emerging. Um, and for us, uh, the, the Snap Pack is just one of those rare, radical innovations because you know, replacing up to 76% mm. of a packaging material in a packaging from one day to the next while maintaining the same benefits for the consumers in terms of functionality is incredibly rare. Um, and, and that makes that pack very special. Yeah. But it has also required uh, a lot more, uh, I would say, bravery from an innovation and development perspective, uh, together with the partner and also internally, in order to, to really make that happen. It seems like packaging's in a, in a quite an, an interesting place in the world of sustainability in the sense that it's because it's consumer facing, they're aware of the issues. Blue Planet um, to in the UK, for example, has really heightened their awareness on the issues of ocean plastics, etc. So if they see a solution come in that is as radical as you say, as the snap pack where there's no packaging, it's this twist and you've got yourself a, a beer, they can, they can resonate quite well with that. Is the next task then trying to engage these consumers on perhaps stuff that they don't interact with daily, the, the carbon aspect, the water aspect, mm. and because that's going to drive just as much change across the industry, surely. Um, so, uh, I'm, 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 uh, I can only say it's a really good question, and it's something we're looking at. Um, one of the things that we're doing is that we're actually uh, part of the, the product and environmental footprinting uh, methodology pilot. So, in the European Union, uh, there's uh, PEF uh, methodologies being made, and here we're looking at uh, carbon footprinting for products, for example. Um, and that is something that we're following with, with great interest because uh, that gives us an opportunity to actually tell the consumers uh, that we have a low carbon product because in general beer is actually quite low carbon, uh, a low CO2 compared to other drinks. Um, so, so there might be something there that, that could be interesting for us. And of course, uh, when you see that you know, we're aiming to be carbon neutral in 2030 at our breweries, uh, 20 years before the Paris Agreement mm. states carbon neutrality is needed, of course that is something we also uh, want to communicate to the consumers. Um, and 
yeah, that is something that, that the future will, will definitely uh, bring from our side. Increased focus on the effects of climate change, but also on the fact that we are really taking a lead on, on uh, taking action on this. And there's obviously been a lot of build-up to, to this day. I imagine this has been kind of marked on the calendar for quite a while now, and, and you've been really looking forward to it. Now, now that it's been and done, it's not just a case of kind of put your feet up and, and rest. What, what now? Is it kind of monitoring the actual impact and performance it delivers, and, and does that give scope for um, wider rollouts, not just across the snapback, but with the um, recycle, shrink wrap, etc., um, the CO2 cap bottles, that kind of stuff? By no means, we can put our feet up. Um, the, the, the really hard work starts now, because now we're going to start the, uh, the real implementation, the discussions with customers, the feedback from beer lovers uh, on all of the things we're launching. Um, and as we said, you know, it's an incremental implementation. So we start on Snappack with uh, Norway and UK in September, and then Denmark comes in January, and then we're going to line up the following countries after that. So just the sheer scope of the implementation of all these things that is now following is huge. And we're already now also starting the, the next level of development on the existing betterments, mm -hmm. but we actually also have some exciting new betterments already uh, in the pipeline. And that is really what I think is, is special also about um, how Carlsberg has taken the whole concept of betterments and sustainability and taken it into the brand identity. Because that means that we can constantly ask ourselves the question, what can we do better? Hmm. Um, and that just means that we get people excited, brand managers and internal guys, but also external guys, asking the question, what can we do better? And I think that that is actually going to spur a whole lot of innovation and a lot of new ideas that we have no idea is there yet. Um, but but it's my hope and my expectation that that will also come. Yeah, I, I really like the business appetite for, for ideas and especially when there's no idea of how they're going to, they've got a target in mind or initiative and they don't know how they're going to get there. I think it's quite a brave thing to do. And I saw... Um, rather surprisingly kind of tucked away in the corner of all today's presentations, the, the green fibre bottle in a nice little um, glass case like it was the, the crown jewels almost of Carlsberg and that we're going to finally see um, some market-facing aspects of that in, in 2019. That must be, because that's been in development for, I mean, the, the noise is made about it back in 2015, maybe even before that, um, certainly before I started working at ED. So how, how do you kind of keep the, internally keep the appetite, to keep working along something where you just know that the technology is not there yet? How, how do you not get, I suppose, demotivated by it? Um, first of all, you could say we actually started the work on the snap pack and green flower bottle at the same time. True. Um, and that just tells you that, that all breakthrough things takes time. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, actually the snap pack is a really good example of how we avoid being demotivated because it has taken three years, but now we're here. Mm. We have a big machine installed. It's doing what it was supposed to do. Yes, there are tweaks that we have to do. It is the first time we do it, um, but it's there, it's physical. And actually an event like today can also uh, act as a positive reinforcer of the fact that it's the right thing to do. Of course, given that the outside world, um, you, uh, the beer lovers, uh, everyone, that they, uh, they think it's also a good thing, that can become a virtuous circle where um, that can basically help us generate more good things. So um, 
yeah, I'm, I, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just really looking forward to the coming months and, and years as well, because I think this is really just uh, the beginning. Great. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear um, more about Snapback, more about what Carlson's up to um, you know, the Sustainability Leaders Forum, uh, the ED event, uh, early next year, actually. Um, so it'll be a new year, and you kind of focus, no doubt. So I look forward to seeing you then. I'm worried that I do have a bus to get in like a minute. Um, but thank you for kind of showing me around uh, the brewery. It's really interesting. Not too sure about having a kind of mobile bar at the top of some spiral staircases. That <laughs> seems like a disaster waiting to happen. But uh, Simon, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. It's been thank a pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. There you go. Uh, great stuff. Thanks to, to Simon and co for inviting us out to Copenhagen for that. Um, and you'll be pleased to hear we're returning the favour by bringing Simon back over to London for the Sustainability Leaders Forum in February. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Uh, and I think for the forum, uh, if you're interested in attending, uh, just visit event.ed.net forward slash forum. Uh, okay, well, that brings part two of this episode to a close, I think. Join us in part three for another exclusive chat after uh, another exclusive tour, uh, this time for something a bit different, sustainable dry cleaning. Welcome back to part three of the show. Uh, yeah, the sun's come back out, which I think is quite fitting for this next segment because, um, Sarah, you recently travelled up to sunny Watford for uh, a tour of a new solar-powered factory, didn't you? Mm -hmm. So it's a new um, dry cleaning facility, um, and it's basically, it, it claims to be the UK's first completely green facility of its kind. So there's a solar array on the roof, um, washing machines that weigh how much laundry is put in them so that okay, they don't yeah. use excess product or water. Um, use bio-based, uh, bio non-toxic um, laundering products compared to the usual um, agent, which is um, a carcinogen. Okay. Um, and also a sort of wastewater um, butt that reuses 80% of the water used by the machine. Wow. So okay. a number of impressive built-in um, features going in on this warehouse. Hmm. And you were taking on a tour of the whole facility, were you? Or? Yes. So okay. just a whistle-stop stop tour of the facility. It's on a like business park okay. um, in Watford, where all the units have solar built in. So hmm. Well, um, I believe so. It's there, V-Clean Life's uh, managing director, Nick Harris, who took you on that tour and, and you had a chat with? Yes. Um, so Nick founded the company um, several years ago, but this move, move is seeing its sort of um, physical operations um, size increased tenfold. So it's a notable expansion, um, giving them a, a lot of opportunity to build in more sustainability features um, into the new warehouse. Um, and then before that, he was working in the clothing industry as well. So he has a big um, interest and background in making those industries more sustainable. Well, so yeah, an interesting uh, discussion point. Well, uh, here's uh, your chat then, Sarah, with VClean Life's managing director, Nick Harris, in full. It might seem like a niche industry or a small footprint, but the UK's laundry sector has been estimated to process more than 740,000 tonnes of textiles each year, according to the latest data from the Carbon Trust. To process that amount of product, you need about 1,254 gigawatts of power, which, if generated from coal, generates more than a quarter of a million tonnes of CO2 every year. 
Moreover, most of the dry cleaners you see on the high street use a liquid agent called perchloroethylene, or PERC for short, to carry out their cleaning process. The chemical is listed as a carcinogen in several states and nations and has been shown time and time again to have a toxic effect on soil, water and air. Which is why I'm here at Watford today to see how cleaning company V-Clean Life is showcasing innovative new ways to reduce the environmental impact of the laundries industry. Um, I'm here with the founder of the company, Nick Harris, who's been in the industry for 17 years. Um, he should be able to shed some light on how traditional processes could soon be switched up for greener alternatives that ultimately help to protect the environment. Um, but as we'll talk about, it's not just the new process that's considered green here. Okay, so you're about to walk into what is um, effectively the uh, most high-tech, most ecologically sound dry cleaning unit in the UK. Okay, so we're going. So we have two types of technology. We have traditional um, laundry machines, but these are the state-of-the-art laundry machines. So these are the very latest available. Um, they um, they work out exactly how much they weigh, basically the, the products that go into the into the drums, mm -hmm. and they will therefore only use exactly the water that's required to be used. Mm -hmm. So that, so whereas normal washing machines just have a certain amount of water that is input on every single wash regardless. These machines don't, it calculates exactly what is required. Okay. So it's a resource efficient washer? Ridiculously so, mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. So how many units will you have in total once all of them are in? Is it finished? In terms of, in terms of machinery? Mm -hmm. um, no, it's not finished. So there's one, two, three more of these uh, washers. Uh, one of them is a medium sized washer and the others are the same size here. They are all we are having of the two small ones and we've got more laundry machines along here. Everything in here is driven by gas and steam. Everything, every machine. So whilst it might look like electrics, electrics just turn it on. Everything here is driven by the steam. I'm gonna show you in this cupboard, the glamorous places for you. <laughs> As you know, we, we picked this unit actually because um, of the solar paneling. Mm -hmm. um, so that it already came with the solar array? Came, yeah, we actually, it was one of the reasons why we picked it. If, if we found a unit that was perfect that didn't have the solar array, we'd have put it on. It's part of who we are. Um, we, we absolutely want to be known as, not, not just for marketing purposes, not interested in that. We don't do anything here for marketing purposes. It actually is in our hearts that we want to do these things. The investment in the eco-friendly cleaning itself is more than anyone's probably ever laid out in the dry cleaning industry. This is this is because we believe in this stuff. So this little unit here, you probably recognise this. This is our solar panel um, machine. I'll call it that meter, whatever, and it produces that's 32, nearly 33 kilowatts of energy back into the system. Mm -hmm. So if you think that almost every machine we've got out there, because it's generally gas driven, which the water's recycled on, this is servicing probably almost all of our electrical needs just from our solar paneling, which for us is, you know, that's everything. Our electricity bills, I've no doubt, haven't been here long enough to find out yet, will be minimal. But it's not about the bills for us, it's about the fact that actually, we don't have to worry about drawing on, um, on the grid we, we should, I hope, at some stage, in time, I'm hoping that we're putting into the grid rather than taking out as a net. That's our aim. Mm -hmm. um, 
we'll see if we can get to that. I've obviously just been around for a tour, but for the people who are listening at home, could you give a brief overview of what is going on here and yeah. how it makes dry cleaning more sustainable? Absolutely. So we are uh, we're opening here the largest eco, 100% eco-friendly uh, dry cleaning unit in uh, certainly in the UK, maybe in Europe. Um, everything is cleaned here without the use of solvents, uh, which is what is basically the dirty part of dry cleaning. Um, Ninety-eight percent of dry cleaners use a solvent called perchloroethylene, which has been proven to be carcinogenic. It's uh, highly toxic. It takes hundreds of years to disappear when it's been put in the ground, sunk in landfill in steel containers, and then sadly seeps into the water table. Mm -hmm. um, instead, we clean everything with water, uh, much of which is recycled, as you've now seen uh, on your tour. So, um, very careful, careful use of water. Uh, the only waste product that we give out effectively is water, and it's uh, according to Electrolux, who whose machinery we use, it's near, nearly pure enough to drink. So um, that's the, the, the kind of the basis of what we do here. Hmm. Obviously the rest of the facilities uh, set up to be as, as eco ecologically sound as we can. So we recover quite a lot of our water, as you know, um, considerable percentage, certainly through the, the gas generation that we have. Everything here is driven by gas. Um, and the water that's that creates the steam um, gets recycled through the condensation or condensers. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty sound. We have our solar panels on the roof as well. Um, the again, we picked this unit very very specifically because one of the reasons, one of the big big highlights, was because of the solar panels. Um, when we were when we were downstairs just now looking at the uh, meter, it was telling us it was registering about my memory served more about 33 kilowatts it was producing and it's not the brightest sunniest day um, but that's probably we're told probably enough to pretty much run the electricity provide electricity for all of what we do here um, there may be some days where we'll draw a little bit more from the grid uh, but we are expecting in time um, to be able to actually give back to the grid so um, that's part of getting part of who we are here mm -hmm. And then you've touched on sort of some of the issues why this new solution to more sustainable dry cleaning is needed, but why do you think that now is the time to sort of move forward with well, this enough, model? We, we, we've been doing this now for four and a half years. Um, how it started was because, not on this scale, clearly. This scale is significantly nearly ten times the size of what we're doing at the moment. Mm. We believe, I believe, my staff here and my family, we're very, very... Um, we have a real family environment here. We're not like a big corporate business where, you know, they're the workers, we're the management, all that nonsense. You know, I, I sweep the floors like everybody else does, and that's how we work here. And you'll see, you'd have seen the staff, everyone's got smiles on their face. It's not put on, it's just that's how we are. <clears throat> and I believed actually at the time that using that perk, using the, the perchloroethylene, I did just, I just felt. I wasn't doing my staff who were using doing using it for cleaning. I didn't feel that it was right any longer to uh, put them through that, frankly. Um, so that began our journey to becoming eco-friendly, and we do believe we are genuinely proud and and really trying hard to be eco-friendly in all the different steps that we take. We said, you know what? Let's see what we can do to get out of this. There wasn't very much available at the time, um, but it's 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 come on leaps and bounds since 
we did invest into this uh, wet cleaning technology um, four and a half years ago. We scrapped, we got rid of everything that we had and completely started again. We had to relearn how to clean because when you've been a dry cleaner for years and years, traditional dry cleaner for years and years, it's very, very difficult to then become a wet cleaner. You have to forget everything that you've learned and restart again. Uh, we did that, went through growing pains, which was fine. And here we are now absolutely committed and our staff are able to um, our staff are able to work in an environment which is not oppressive. When you walk into a dry cleaning unit, <coughs> particularly a factory, the smell is so overpowering of the, the solvent. Perk. Yeah, mm. absolutely, it's horrific. Um, and you're breathing that in all the time. And it's bad for your kidneys, bad for your lungs, bad for your liver. Now, with our unit, um, if you came in a month's time and we're you know, producing and, and we're flat out, all, all it will smell like, and I'll... All it will smell like is like uh, like Lenore. It smells Lenore fresh, um, you know. And I, I'm not promoting their brand in any way, but you know that's how that's the smell. That'll be the scent in in the environment. That's the environment they're working in. Plus, it's not as hot as a dry cleaning unit. Um, there's less direct heat anywhere. There's less chance of burning yourself on anything, which actually is again for me is important. It's not quite eco, but it's it, it for me. It was all about looking after my staff. And I also come from a clothing background, as I've explained, manufacturing. And I, some would say I'm very passionate about clothes. Okay, I, I love clothes. Um, a bit of a clothes snob. Um, don't quote me on that one. Um, and so for me, understanding what the perk was doing to clothing made me realise it's completely the wrong way. You're not looking after people's clothes, you're damaging them. Every time you take your clothes to a traditional dry cleaner, you're actually asking them to damage your clothes for you. But you just don't know that because people don't know what goes on in dry cleaning. But yet when you clean with water, everything is actually taken care of. When you give your clothing to a dry cleaner, a traditional dry cleaner, if, I'll, I'll, pick on, I'll pick on you for example, okay? So a lady might wear a dress. Um, you would sweat into the arm, armpits, it's just inevitable and therefore you've got sweat microbes still on the garment. When you give it to a traditional dry cleaner, you, they, it removes the stain, perk removes stains very, very well. But it doesn't clean your garment, it doesn't wash it. Whereas our process, wet clean, because it's cleaning with water, washes everything away, which means you get a proper cleaned garment. There are no microbes left on it. Um, we don't have to we don't have to add a scent in to hide the BO that's left, um, which is a wonderful thing. So we take care of the garments, we're very gentle on garments, we take care of the staff, and then of course the greatest perk of all, perk, I'm sorry, a little bit, bit of a pun there, but the greatest, you know, the benefit of them all is the fact that actually we're not damaging the environment with it. And it, it means that there are three ticks for us, three wins for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really... Um, why we actually all go home genuinely with a smile on our face at the end of a day we've cleaned X number of thousands of items and we say, do you know what, we did no one any harm today, all we've done is help people and um, I think actually from our ethos that's what we're about, um, we want to look after clothes, we want to look after the environment we want to look after people's pockets But then you mentioned there just some of the challenges that you've had to overcome to get this far and oh, to yes. scale up. Um, so the expenditure being a big one and then having to retrain everyone on how to clean and what cleaning means. Yep. Um, so there's obviously a lot of barriers 
um, for adoption to this, but how can other businesses follow suit? Um, I, I think I think you take the risk. It depends on how serious you are about these things, I guess. We, we're committed. So, yes, we've, we've sunk into this unit the best part of £2 million. Um, did I have £2 million to start with? No, I was just like any other small business owner. I didn't have anything. We went and raised the money and we sunk it in there. Um, if you want to do it, you'll do it, I believe. Um, there isn't in this country yet, and this is my, the bane of my life, and interestingly, we raised it with the MP um, just before we, Richard. There, in a number of countries around the world now, they're banning perk or have banned perk. A number of the states in America now have banned mm -hmm. perk. Mm -hmm. um, there is no incentive for these people in this country, these dry cleaners, to change. Why should they? They've been doing it this way all their life. They make their, they make their money. They're happy. There is no incentive to do so. Our incentive was because actually we're more of a corporate business than a traditional little dry cleaning shop, with all due respect to them. Um, the dry cleaning industry is pretty much a cottage industry. It's individuals owning at one or two shops generally. There's no real big chains. And um, we, we on the other hand, are, have worked with corporates in London for so long, um, not just providing cleaning, but we also provide corporate uniforms as a business. So. For us, we're more of a business than a dry cleaner, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the actual industry, because it's a cottage industry, trying to get people like that to, to reinvest money, they're not interested. Why bother? They'll work until their machinery fails. Uh, most of them have got dry cleaning machines that are ancient, which again is frightening because they're even less sound and clean than you know a, a brand spanking new one, for example. Um, I mean, when you walk into a dry cleaning shop, actually you're walking into a genuinely a hazardous environment. Um, but I, no, I don't see what the... What, until the government decides actually perk needs to be outlawed, which I believe it absolutely should, um, there is no good basis for perk any longer. There's no sound argument that, that perk shouldn't be outlawed. It is casting... You know, we ban... You know, to a degree, we ban smoking. To a, you know, certainly in all, all the buildings... So why would you have a carcinogen in, in a building, in a closed environment like a small dry cleaning shop? Why would mm. you do that? I just don't, I just don't think it's right. Uh, it appalls me. We are speaking to the government. We have spoken to the government many a time. Um, we've not had any great response, sadly, um, as yet. But I, I do feel that you know, people need to hear this message. They need to understand. They, they've got a choice now, thankfully, through the, through the launch of... What we're about to do with V Clean and our V Drops that are going to be put out everywhere, and the price point that we're offering as well. I'm hoping that we've made that choice now so straightforward for people, even forgetting the eco side of things, the fact that we're so incredibly cheap compared to everyone else. It will mean, I hope, it will people will think people do think with their pockets. So if I can convince you to clean with me because of the money, I can sleep well at night knowing that actually we've also done something good for the environment. And, and I think that's really important. And that if people then stop going to these dirty cleaners and have their clothes looked after properly, have it at an incredible price, and at the end of the day becoming to an entirely green cleaning facility, then literally everyone's a winner. And I think that's what's got to happen. Well, you've touched a little bit on my last question there, oh. which is your <laughs> visions for the future for the business. Yep. So obviously it looks like you do want to sort of drive policy 
um, for park banning as yes, well as making percent. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely it's got to happen. Again, I, I, I don't know how government works. I'm a business person. I, you know, I've not been involved with any of that side of things. We have spoken to a, a number of MPs now, though. Uh, all the MPs we've spoken to have grasped what I'm saying. Um, they all acknowledge that there is enough evidence out there as well. So, uh, and yet nothing seems to really happen. Um, so I don't quite know how that how that works. My feeling is, if we do what we plan on doing and becoming the size we plan on becoming, and, and we keep investing, we keep opening new factories, the same as what we've got now, in more places, I think we'll end up changing policy without changing policy. I think we'll change people's policy rather than government policy to make this change. Uh, I think people will just stop using dirty cleaning because it's expensive and it's bad. And people will, you know, our, we're spending a huge amount on our marketing, which is sad that we have to do that rather than the government having to do that. You know, to tell people, actually, here's the difference. This is this is what you get with V-Clean. This is what you get with, you know, the guy, guy at the road. And uh, that marketing, I, I believe, and the offer that we have will mean that people want to V-Clean their products because it's sensible. And I think more, more, more people will do that, and that will, that will change, as I say, the people's policy rather than necessarily the government's policy. As ever, the government, I imagine, will come on later on and will celebrate themselves, saying, "Yes, this is what we did." Um, that doesn't worry me. As long as it happens, you know, I don't need to be famous for those things. You know, I, I'm more interested in actually making sure it does actually happen. Right, well that's an inspirational note to close on here in sunny Watford. Um, sunny Watford, yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you very much for having us along. It's my absolute pleasure, it's lovely to see you. Great stuff, uh, so yeah, thanks again there to uh, V Clean Life for hosting us uh, for the afternoon in, in Watford. Um, quite refreshing I think to hear about a sector that isn't talked about too much in mm. our sphere in, in dry cleaning. Uh, so yeah, good to shine a light on that issue. Sarah. So I think that brings an end to part three, but don't go anywhere because the fourth and final part of this episode uh, will see us introduce this week's Star Caller. Okay, uh, hello. Uh, welcome back to the fourth and final part of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Um, this is always uh, the most exciting part of an episode, I think, because we have our live caller um, ready on the line, I believe. So, um, George, I mean, we've been waiting uh, a while to get you involved in this episode, but um, finally you're involved in part four. So um, you've arranged this call, haven't you? So, um, yeah, tell us who we've got and what we're chatting about. Um Thanks, Luke. So basically, um, what would it be in the Sustainable Development Goals week uh, next week? It's a dedicated week um, created by United Nations. Um, basically, as a, as a way of raising awareness around the goals. As we know, a lot of progress has been made, um, but we're not moving fast enough, particularly in the corporate sphere. You know, we're seeing a lot of companies are failing to meaningfully engage with the SDGs, uh, maybe struggling to move from ambition to action. So um, with that in mind, I think it's great that we've, we've launched this SDG week to raise that awareness. Um, so um, we've, we've now got someone on the line who, who'd be able to talk to us uh, about a company that's actually doing really well with embedding the SDGs into their company. Um, 
So we've got Martin Gettings on the line. Uh, he's the head of sustainability at Canary Wharf Group. Mm -hmm. um, Canary Wharf Group, uh, a, a lot of listeners will know, have done really well in sustainability efforts recently. Um, they've got this uh, carbon net positive goal. They've, they've already reduced carbon emissions quite substantially across the portfolio. Uh, that now driving uh, a net zero carbon strategy. And as, as part of that, they've aligned themselves to the uh, UN's SDGs for the very first time. So delighted to have Martin on the phone. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully if this technology is working in this in this boardroom, then he is on the phone. Uh, I think it's finally time we say hello to him. Uh, Martin, are you there? Yes, I'm here loud uh, and clear. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, how are you? I, I've got written down here that you're on holiday. Is that right? Well, it just shows my dedication. This is the last day of the week I've we've spent down in Cornwall here. Oh, wow. Okay, nice. Yeah, it's a bit of a risky move taking a holiday uh, in the UK in September, but has the weather held up? Well, yeah, it's been uh, incredibly um, windy and, and rainy this, this <laughs> yeah. last 24 hours with with the storm sort of coming in. Um, mm. But yeah, it's been a good week. Yeah, good. Well, yeah, thanks very much then for taking the time out to join us, especially on the holiday. Um, uh, you, you heard us talking there, hopefully, Martin, a little bit about the, the Global Goals Week, which is next week to, to sort of raise awareness of and um, drive business action around the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I wondered if you could just talk to us a little bit about what Canary Wharf Group is currently doing uh, around the SDGs and, and where it's at on its journey. Yeah, um, no problem. I, I just want to pick up on a point George said, you know, thank you very much for that really kind introduction, George. You said that we're doing really well. Um, you know, I've, I've got to start this off by sort of qualifying with, you know, we are proud of what, we're, what we've achieved, but, you know, we know that there's, there's much still to be done. And I think um, looking at the SDGs and trying to embed them in, in our in our sort of um, our sustainability mission is is um, is one way that, that you know that we're trying to we're trying to do more. I think we've got three um, clear reasons for doing this. The, you know, the first one is to is to raise the profile of the SDGs. Um, you know, one of the one of the sort of you know one of the sort of elements in the SDGs is that is that everybody on planet Earth. Should, should be aware of them and I just think that's a brilliant um, that's a brilliant ambition so we really want to be sort of part of that and, and do what we can to, to make people aware of the SDGs the second the second reason why we're doing this is is to align um, what we do to a, to a common mission um, I think when we're all when we're all sort of tugging in the same direction it's um, it's much easier to you know to you know, to, to, to achieve things, and and lastly, through all of that, we, we you know we want to be involved with the SDGs to sort of trigger much more collaboration. I mean, it's it's clear that, that sustainability, never mind the SDGs, sustainability, anything that we need to do, it's it's, it's you know it's not a, it's not a solo endeavour. It, it's got to be done in it's got to be done, you know, with, with you know with with others and, and, and with certainly through collaboration. And we see the SDGs as a great way to to bring people together. Hmm. Yeah, and um, uh, it's got noted down here. I haven't, I honestly haven't heard too much about this, but um, uh, it was noted down in the notes here about um, moving to make Canary Wharf Group an SDG compliant micro city. Are you able to just shed a bit of light on that, on, on what that means and what that looks like, and, and where you're at with that plan? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's nothing like um, there's nothing like an attention grabbing headline to sort of spur a bit of action, and um, that was. 
that was something that we, we decided to put out in, in last year's um, annual sustainability report and strategy. And it, and it really has kind of um, captured people's imagination. And that was the purpose of that, you know, to, to, to drive us towards this um, this goal of um, by 2030, being able to, you know, being able to look at the SDGs and say that, you know, we've done our bit. And we're already doing such a lot, you know. If you if you look at if you look at a lot of the programs that we're doing, you can see, you know, you can see traces of SDGs in there. You know, we have a, you know responsible sourcing, community outreach, the work we're doing with biodiversity, the the work we're doing at the moment with plastics, and in the introduction you, you mentioned about um, about zero carbon. Obviously, we're looking at science-based targets right now. So the SDGs are all in there, um, and it's. You know, we're using we're using the goals as a you know as a way to sort of, to sort of create this strategy and, and drive it forward. Hi there, Martin. It's George here again. Um, just I just wanted to have a follow up question here because obviously um, you said you've got that um, uh, attention grabbing uh, SDG compliant micro city um, type tag, uh, and we know that um, Canary Wharf. Uh, along with many other corporates, have wide and vast-ranging supply chains. So I, I wanted to know. I know it's hard enough to get to get um, work done in your own operations, let alone across huge, vast-ranging uh, supply chains. So I'm wondering how you overcome that challenge uh, of delivering uh, SDG compliance and transparency in uh, each of the countries that you operate, especially those that are potentially less regulated. Yeah, that's that's a great question, George. Um, thankfully, at the moment we're only operating in the one country, London. <laughs> it makes it it makes it easy to be compliant in London. But I've, I've always made the point that um, being SDG compliant around Canary Wharf is not really the goal. It, 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 it's absolutely the goal to to be um, to be compliant throughout our supply chains. Um, and obviously, whilst we might only be um, be based in in you know East East fourteen. Um, we certainly, our supply chains do do sort of stretch around the world. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we chose to be um, to use FSC certified timber in all of our projects. We um, we get all of our projects FSC certified, and we know that through doing this, uh, the whole sort of timber supply chain is in you know in line with the relevant SDG goals. So that's a great way of, of having that of having that knowledge that you know the you know, at least one supply chain is is um, is SDG compliant, and we're looking at. You know, we're, we're obviously looking a lot wider than just timber. Um, we're, we're looking at the um, the ISO twenty four hundred framework um, to you know to to drive to drive sustainability further in, into the into the supply chain. Obviously, we'll be looking at various uh, monitoring tools that come with that. But yeah, we we absolutely recognise that it's not just sort of. This is not about ticking boxes on our sort of UK London operations. This is looking at, you know, where we draw materials and you know goods and services from from around the world, and those are the places that, that the SDGs need to reach, and those are you know those are the places that we're looking at. Uh, Martin, it's it's uh, Matt here, the one that's been pressuring you with emails while you've been uh, on holiday. So thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I do have a question. Uh, you mentioned kind of ISO standards and, and FSC, and and those are great. Uh, I suppose. Um, drive change on real kind of focused areas but, but the SDGs I think um, from a business perspective suffer from being a, quite broad um, and so in, in the context of kind of delivering or at least contributing against all 17 of the goals how, how can a company 
begin about setting that vision rather than perhaps just focusing on on cherry picking a couple that they know they can deliver some tangible results against straight away? Yeah, another good question. Um, of course, it's not just the 17 sort of headline goals. They're the, they're the cool logos that everybody sort of seizes and slaps in their, their annual reports. It's the, um, it's the targets and it's the indicators, the 169 targets and the 200 or so indicators that sit below that. But I think I think the sort of key challenge that, uh, that you know that, that you haven't got to sort of fall into is, is trying to tackle all of the, the SDGs. Um, you know what what we should be doing is looking at looking at our materiality process, looking at our business priorities, and and selecting SDGs um, targets and indicators that are directly relevant. You know, use use the ones that use the ones that you know that the business are comfortable with and that. You know that you can the momentum can be gained, and then then perhaps look to the more some of the more um, elusive or, or problematic ones. But certainly, um, it's it's not about trying to tackle them all at once. You know, we're we're, we're looking at um, as I say the ones the ones that are suitable. You know, most most suitable to us are um, you know the responsible consumption and production, um, SDG 12, um, sustainable cities and communities, SDG 11. No, they're the sort of two key ones um, that, that, that we're looking at. Decent work and economic growth is something that, that we do in, in Tower Hamlets, working with local supply chains and local communities. Hmm. So yeah, it's about it's about seeing seeing deeper than just the just the headline goals. Looking at looking at the um, looking at the detail in the in in, in the uh, in the targets and in the and in the indicators. That's that's what that's what we must sort of dive into and. And get our heads around. All right, Sarah here, Martin. I'm just going to come back to something that George touched on at the beginning of the chat to round up, um, really, which is we've, we've seen over recent months lots of news um, arriving on our desk about um, great, great news about companies taking action to align with the SDGs, but then a sort of block between that align, alignment and meaningful engagement and action. Um, so, putting you on the spot here a bit, what one piece of advice would you give to other professionals who are um, looking to bridge this gap between ambition and action? Great question. I think there's one there's one word that's kind of missing from all of that, that statement that you just raised there, um, Sarah, and it's it's collaboration. I think I think if you put collaboration in the mix, I think that really does start to unlock um, some of the delivery elements. I think I think once you start once you start working together with other organisations, um, it does tend to it does tend to help you to spur things along. Um, you know, we we had some interesting collaborations around SDGs that I can't mention just at the moment, but um, yeah, that's for us that's that's been a that's been a good way to to turn some of these um, some of these aspirations and some of these you, you know these high level. Um, you know, you know, statement, people saying that they're embracing the SDGs is, is fine, but that really needs to translate into sort of tangible, transparent um, actions. And I think, um, I think once, I think for me that the, the, one of the sort of key drivers to, to get to that point is is collaboration and is is working with you know working with other organisations and other 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 elements of the value chain to you know to make that happen. So for me, that's. 
Martin, uh, we could talk to you probably for the rest <laughs> for the next hour or so, but uh, I don't think your family would thank us there. Uh, uh, I, I do want you to get back to your holiday back in Cornwall. Um, it goes without saying, but thank you so much for for taking the time out to chat with us. It was fascinating some of the, some of the insights you provided there. Um, uh, yeah, so thank you. What, what what else have you got planned there, there in Cornwall? Um, just get down on the beach before the um, the wind sort of blows all the sand away. I think it's, yeah. uh, it's blowing a gale here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then yeah, it's, it's a nice, the nice drive back up to London this evening. Oh, good. Yeah, I hear the surf is is good this time of year. Are you planning on getting out in the sea? Oh God, no! I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't a wetsuit for it. That would spoil a holiday for everybody else. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, you've you've made us very jealous, regardless, uh, Martin. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your break. Okay, I will do. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care. Cheers, Martin. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Uh, there you go. Um, Canary Wharf Group's Head of Sustainability, Martin Gettings, um, yeah, surfs out into the sunset, I guess. Um, thanks, George. Did that go to plan? Yeah, I think so. At least from our side, yeah. um, I'm, ho I'm hoping his family aren't going to berate us after this <laughs> phone call. Um, no, yeah. what, they work well, don't they, call-ins? Yeah, I think we should do this every podcast. Um, now, uh, the sad news is that I don't think we've got time left in this podcast for our usual innovations of the week or quiz, but we'll hope we'll do those next week or next podcast, I promise. Um, but the good news is we do have our sustainability success story of the week. We ended on quite a high note there with Martin, so hopefully we can keep that up. Um, George, this falls to you now, I believe. So uh, do you have one? Um, yeah, always a good start. <laughs> I do actually have one. Um, so this week, our success story is uh, on the catwalk. Okay. <laughs> right. Don't worry, I won't be doing any rendition or anything like that. But uh, we, it was, uh, for those of our listeners that aren't aware, it's uh, London Fashion Week this week. Um, fashion industry is, is one that gets a lot of um, attention, potentially not being the, the most resource efficient industry in the world. We've had... Um, you know, the spotlight's been placed on the industry heavily over the last couple of years. Everyone remembers Hugh Fernley Whittenstall's um, documentary, you know, when he was standing on top of that seven-ton pile of discarded <laughs> clothes. Um, I don't, th don't think he stood on top of it. That I, I think I've actually got a picture here, Luke. Oh, so, uh, oh okay. Right, that is, that is generally my bedroom, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. a chair underneath there somewhere. <laughs> you'd think you'd sink into a big pile of clothes, but somehow he's managed to, to sort of clamber up on it. Yeah, yeah. Very impressive. Um, so, yes, London Fashion Week uh, this year, it's taken a bit of a different angle. It's trying to um, boost its sustainability credentials, really uh, looking at diversity, brand ethics, that kind of thing. Um, last few months, we've seen some um, interesting new uh, developments in the fashion industry. I think, Matt, you covered a story about Burberry recently, about how they were um, willingly burning products. That was quite an interesting one. Yeah, it's a really interesting <laughs> point of, like, voluntary disclosure. Like, they they voluntary. Uh, essentially let people know that they, they've burnt this stock but mm -hmm. um, the backlash that's come from it has led them to essentially change or, or commit to change their methods they're not going to do anymore which is actually I think really brave considering I, I the, um, yeah. 
There's, mm. it's, it's, it's rumoured or it's certainly well documented that that's quite a normal practice within the industry. So fair play Burberry. Mm. Yeah, and this, I know, yeah, because when you first said that, I was wondering how what the connection is with sustainability success story. But mm. um, I think that uh, I agree with what you just said, mate. I think we, you and I were in a roundtable, weren't we? Discussion. Oh, no, this, this is completely my own idea. Because <laughs> um, I remember I was on the sidelines of that and that was, it was just an interesting point and maybe yeah. an insight that uh, it's easy to forget when you, you know, we get the story come across our desk um, from a, an NGO, I think mm. it was, um, that, that shed light on this story. But actually, the the truth of what's happened is yes, obviously that's what that's what's the end, the result of what has been done is that they are taking that approach, which mm. isn't right. We know it's unsustainable, but mm. we know that a lot more is going on that's like of similar kind in the industry. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. if there's anything positive that can be taken out of it, the fact Burberry have taken that bold step and announced something and just and well, not announced it but you know being public about the what they're doing i think it's, it is the first step it's mm. like admission step yeah, one yeah, exactly. yeah. um so yeah that was good good to see i think um, yeah so i mean yeah so we, we've seen that kind of thing where um uh fashion brands are taking more of a stance on creating trans transparent supply chains and I think a lot of that's been med, um, led as I mentioned by media scrutiny as well as um, more intense um, public attention mm. um, we, we're seeing a lot more purpose-driven um, uh, brands and, and um, strategies over the last few months I, I was interested to see the um, I'm sure everyone saw the advertising campaign that Nike came out with which mm. is the um, starring the hashtag take a knee founder Colin yeah. Kaepernick mm -hmm. you remember he um, famously took a knee to I think it was um, taking a stance against you know uh, racial uh, prejudices in yeah, the US but, um, matter, int interestingly the fact that that campaign uh, was purpose driven it, um, Nike reported a 31% increase in sales after that which I thought was fascinating um, okay. showing the purpose driven Sale so, um, brand is actually delivering, but anyway, bringing us back to the original point of London Fashion Week, um, I think a lot of brands have been exploring ways to drive sustainability. Um, we've seen the banning of animal fur uh, this week uh, at London Fashion Week. A lot of closed loop approaches being used, um, some innovative ways to use fabric. I think Sarah, you mentioned. Uh, they're using fabrics made from cow dung. Yeah, so there was one particular designer, um, Vinonomi, which has showcased a range of um, green innovations on the catwalk this week. Um, they've got material that's made out of flax and cow parsley um, rather than cotton, which are obviously easier to grow in the UK okay. and less resource, um, resource heavy to produce. Hmm. Um, and they've also got things made out of recycled tin cans. So, sort of. Um, reassigning a value to waste and making waste fashionable yeah well, there you go yeah managed to get an innovation of the week in there as well <laughs> yeah uh, which is good yeah speaking of innovative ways to use fabric it's good to see george's george's attire today it looks like it's that recycled recycled old inliner you're wearing there george <laughs> yeah yeah just got it straight out of landfill <laughs> 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 Resist a little um, well, there you go. Uh, the fun's over. I think that's a wrap for this episode. Um, Matt, are you able to shed any light on what's in store for next episode? Mm, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Good. Uh, well, it is episode 50, though, so hopefully some uh, exciting things in it's store. It's embargo. Good. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. So, until next time, it's a uh, goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. Goodbye from George. Bye. And goodbye from Sarah. Bye. 
and a goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>